we are here to cover chapter two in the care of souls um, by our good friend Howard Harold Sinkville, who now messed up his first name, much less his last name. But uh, you know, this second this second chapter on the Word of God, ministry source and norm. You know, the first very first uh, sentence of the chapter. In our digital age, we're swimming in gigabytes of data, but thirsting for reality. Uh, I, I, just something about that sentence grabs me because we 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 live in a diminished age, uh, a flattened age, as Charles Taylor and others have called it, a secular age, where uh, we we live in just this kind of realm of the here and the now, and we don't live in a world beyond. Uh, you see all the latest uh, intellectual fads that, you know, some professor at some school 15 minutes ago uh, invented or, or, you know, came up with some new spin on an old heresy. But but we, we live just in this here and now. We're lost. Um, you know, we've lost sight, I think, as Christians. And one of the things I think Christianity has to offer, following Jesus has to offer, is this rich view of humanity, is that we're more than just the biochemical processes that make up our bodies. We're more than just our desires and, and what we feel. And, and even what we think, we're, we're, these, we're these rich, soulish kinds of creatures. And I know in chapter three, so we don't have to spend too much time on this, he gets into some of this, but uh, of what is a soul. And what, but, but we are, we, we, we are souls, embodied spirits, um, and we need soul food. And I think so much of our world does not offer us richness of food. And I think that's one of the things that, uh, that as Christians we bring to the table is when we bring the scriptures to the table is we bring a rich soul food for people that they are not going to get on Instagram or TikTok or, or other places like this. So uh, that is one of the ways in which I this chapter just speaks to me is, gosh, people, and we are in that, we are in that group. We need soul food. We, we need it. You know, when I, I hear you saying that, it reminds me, uh, Eugene Peterson had uh, this book called Eat This Book. And the whole book, that's a phrase out of, it shows up both in Ezekiel and in Revelation, eat this scroll, eat this book. And it's speaking of scripture itself. And the word for meditate, like, so we get, you know, Psalm 1, blessed is a, the man, blessed is a person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers, but his delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And Peterson says that word for meditate, uh, it gets translated from the Hebrew. It's what a a lion after it's, you know, killed a, a, its prey and it's just gnawing over its bone, like the last thing that it's eating, just munching it, crunching it, getting all the nutrients out of it. He says, that's the word they use for meditate. It's this very, um, very visceral, uh, very just strong sense of taking it in, extracting all of it. And it makes me think when I read scripture uh, and you're talking about soul food right now, um, there are moments where I'm not paying attention. And I was thinking this morning, I'm just, I'm reading this Psalm over and over again. I'm not paying attention, but if I really want the soul food that you're describing, there comes a moment where I have to say, I have to, I have to slow down and actually give scripture attention. I can't, I can't just gloss over the top of it. I have to pay attention. I've been thinking about that. Pay attention is like an economic metaphor. I deliver, I'm giving something of cost over to these words that they would become soul food for me. So I... Anyway, Peterson would agree with well, you. Uh, meditate I, I, and, and soul food. 
Yeah, well, I think as as pastors, uh, you know, we I would think this is a relatively uncontroversial chapter in its concept that we kind of go, yeah, it's the word of God. We want to offer it to people, but in its application, I think is where we we come up short. Is that we we give our time and attention to so many other things, but do we really meditate and stew uh, on the scriptures and and just kind of brood over it? It's like this past weekend we were at a basketball tournament with Caleb, and uh, one of the boys on his team had missed some free throws that game, and and uh, he he had started one of the Caleb and this other kid are, are the probably the two best players on the team. And he's like, man, I was shooting like I'm a 50% free throw shooter. And and I said to him, I said, well, actually, you're not a 50% free throw shooter. You're a 72% free throw shooter. And the reason I knew this 13-year-old kid on my son's seventh grade basketball team was a 72% free throw shooter is because uh, some we've got a stat keeper who keeps the stats, and then I enter them into my computer after each tournament, and so I compile the stats for the team. And I... I spend that time. I look at them. Of course, Caleb's like, oh, how am I doing? What are my percentages? This sort of thing. And I'm I'm studying, essentially, even though I'm not formally trying to. I'm studying. I'm going over these numbers in my mind. So this kid says to me, 13-year-old says, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a 50% free throw shooter. And I go, no, you're 72% free throw shooter. And I knew this, as pitiful as that is, that I know what this kid's AAU basketball team free throw percentage is, is because I'm spending time with it. I'm looking at it. I'm, I'm you know, because Caleb likes to look at it. We're studying it together. Oh, who's the best free throw shooter on the team who's who's got the most you know whatever this or that and so uh, but what if we did that with scripture you know spending that extra time to just hover over it and and let it let it uh, just sink into us I, i'm really really bad at listening to podcasts at you know like 1.5 actually 1.5 is kind of slow for me sometimes i'll do 1.75 speed because it's like i just want to get through the information give me the information out of this podcast and i'm on to the next thing and too often the the bad habit speaking of habits habitus that we didn't really get into in the last chapter, but it, the habit that it teaches me is it teaches me to appreciate, to approach people and conversations and words. Just give me the information out of it versus I want to, when it comes to the word of God, I don't just want the information out of it. I want to encounter the person who is there. Um, but, but I'm treating it like it's, it's just another piece of information to just give me the information and I'm going to go on to the next thing versus the relational yeah, aspect. So- so yeah, it is weird that you know that stat about a kid on your son's team, but it some of what you just said made me think of when I think of scripture, I think of it in two ways. I think it's true revelation about God. So there's information there that I can't get on my own. Like I cannot look out into the world. I can look out into the world. I'm looking out my window right now and I'm watching birds fly around. There's an evening night sky and a sunset. And I might be able to like work up inductively that there's a creator God, but I can't get to the point of, saying, this creator God loves me. Mm -hmm. He created this world generously. This creator God took on human flesh. Like I can't work those out. So scripture, first of all, reveals something true. There is a revelation of true information that you can't get anywhere else. But then you said it right at the end. And it's the second thing I think about scripture is scripture not just reveals truth about God. Scripture is the arena where you encounter God. Mm So there's revelation and there's encounter. And if I'm treating the word of God as if it it is something common, uh, I miss the encounter. Like I'm, I'm moving too fast beyond where, where God wants to slow down. And, you know, I, I think about this. Uh, most of the time I've got multiple thoughts running through my head. I wake up in the morning, thoughts are in my head. One of my first thoughts is wanting to check my email or something like that. And I'm already kind of distracted 
and I haven't even you know, read scripture yet at all. And so there, there has to be this process of slowing down to say, God, I really want to, I'm gonna use it, the phrase again, I want to pay attention to you. I wanna give you something of myself. I wanna give attention to you and I want you to reveal yourself through these words. So I don't know, what do you think about this framework I'm using? Revelate, scripture as revelation, something true about God and scripture as encounter, the place of meeting God. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's right. I mean, I think we are hearing the words of God and because they are uh, timeless, uh, indeed, you know, eternal in 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 many respects, uh, I think that we we can hear them just as freshly as the disciples heard them when they were spoken, and and we we get to meet God in that moment, and uh, so it's not just revelatory telling us something about God, but it is indeed a fresh encounter with Him in that moment. I mean, it's you know, you think about how you form your deepest friendships. I mean, I think about our friendship over many years is because, you know, just conversation after conversation over a, a wide array of topics and, and just, just, you know, just, just being together and talking with each other. And so, and I think most of your best friendships are and indeed maybe any friendships. That's how you form them is through, through communication back and forth. And so I think that's right. I think when you're with God, you, you do indeed. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a place of relationship building as you read his word and let it speak into your heart in a fresh way. Cause I know he's at pains here. I think to say we're not, we're not second class Christians behind the apostles. Now, of course, the original apostles do have a certain pride in place in certain respects, but um, but the originals so take the apostles out, but we're not, we're not, we don't lack what people had who were with Jesus, because we often think that as Christians, where, oh, wouldn't it have been cool to have been with Jesus and been there? And yeah, it, it would have been, certainly, but we have holy word, and we have holy presence. Like, we have the words of Jesus. We have his holy words speaking to us. And we also have holy presence. Like, they had Jesus, the holy presence with them. We have the Holy Spirit. And in fact, in some ways, maybe you might even say we have it better than them because we have the indwelling of God within us. All they had was the physical presence of Jesus, you know, kind of before the coming of the Holy Spirit. They only had the physical presence of Jesus. So so when we have holy word and holy presence, we, we have access to God through his word. And so thinking about pastors, that is what we want to bring to people. Like, we want to bring to people God's holy word to give them uh, that that holy revelation that they can see God and to meet God in 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 the hearing of Scripture as we maybe read it to them, speak it into their lives, or, or whatever it may be. Okay, so then here's the question: How do you let f- Scripture stay fresh in your life? Because as a pastor working in like CSF or pastoral ministry, I mean, like you're at shift, you're at synergy, you're doing small groups, like you are constantly inundated with scripture. And there's, I remember having this sense when I was like probably 22 that I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be like always reading the Bible or always praying or something like that. And I just, I'm never doing it enough. And um, eventually it, it kind of felt like almost oppressive. And maybe that's not even the right word. It felt like it just felt like this is part of my job. I'm clocking in hours right now. I'm not actually like encountering God, which is like the one thing I want. I'm here because God, I think you've called me here and I think you want to use me. And so I want to be present to you. And, but my goodness, it, it feels hard to just show up. So how do you, how do you keep yourself present and fresh to letting God's word search you? Man, that is, 
you you need someone better. Come than me on, to Sherpa, that give me some answers in a good way. I, <laughs> well, I, I'll say one thing that I have found just just at least in terms of the scripture itself is I, I'll sometimes try different translations in terms of just reading the word itself. Uh, one of the things I love about uh, the message translation it just things hit me in a different way, and and or sometimes I'll pick up an NLT or you know some something like this, and so um, I, I do I do enjoy doing that. It, it helps get at things in a different direction. Uh, the Cotton Patch Gospel is, is one I picked up a little what is bit this? recently. It's a, a, a the Cotton Patch. Uh, I think it's called the Cotton Patch Gospel. I heard of it. it was a translate translation a guy did back in the '60s, and it's like uh, uh, it's you know the Cotton Patch. You know, it's it's translated into uh, for kind of Southern African American slang kind of thing. It was a white guy who lived radically in the '60s with in community with African Americans and and formed this community in the South. I mean, they were car bombed and everything else, and so he winds up translating it into this. Uh, I forget I forget the term he uses for it, but it's basically yeah, like a, a black Southern slang. Uh, I think we've got a copy of it here in in the library, and so it's it can be tricky to read, but it also it does get you at, at in in a little bit of different way. So reading scripture, different translations helps. Um, you know, I listen to different pastors sometimes. You know, if if I want to hear something, I'll, I'll look up Tim Keller. Mm-hmm. I know who recently just passed away. I'll, I'll look up. Hey, what? Let's just listen to a Tim Keller sermon on this. A trusted guide for me uh, to get scripture kind of going in my life in a in a different way. Uh, sometimes I just try to write it down. I'll just try to write out scripture uh, and and let it because writing it down pauses me. It makes me hover over the scripture uh, a little bit, just a little bit longer. So those are some some of the ways for me because uh, yeah, like Singbell says, too often we just try to bring ourselves and our own good advice and good wisdom, and we go, okay, what's some advice I can give this person? And it's it, they need something way richer than the advice that Brian Marshall can manage to cook up. They need they they need scripture. They need an encounter with God. You know, and he he mentioned scripture itself is performative and it does what it says it it will do. And so when you yes. read God's word or when you and I mean you are encountering God. Like you might not even be un you, you would be unaware of it, but you certainly end up encountering God. And you know, I think for me some of the ways that I try to stay fresh at scripture and, and I remember John Wesley he, I think you would correct me on this, but he had his ministers read like read, they had to read and pray and two hours every morning. Isn't that right? Hey, it was extensive. Yeah. yeah Before they like went that. and did anything else, they had like an hour of reading and an hour of prayer, but he would record in his journals how close he felt to God. Like, did I feel on a scale of one to 10? And he didn't use that scale, but something like that. Did I feel low and far away from God? Did I feel near to God? And as you read back through his journals, not the vast majority of his mornings walking away from reading and praying scripture were not a 10 out of 10 spiritual high, but he continued faithfully showing up for me, the long, just over the course of my life, since I've been 18, I don't think I've missed probably more than three consecutive days of just not engaging scripture in some serious sit down fashion of, of being in front of, of God's word and of praying. So do you think there's something about the consistency? I think another thing is, um, <laughs> what, what I found is you're, you're way, but be- you're way better than me on that. Uh, well, we, it's not to compare records or anything, yeah, but I do yeah, think yeah. consistency no, that's matters. Good. Yeah, absolutely. I think another, sure. I think another thing that has really helped me is when I get to especially the words of Jesus and, um, and I try to, to take one of his commands and actually obey them. There's something about that. And I, I did this recently with um, love your neighbor as yourself. 
and just thought, I'm going to just as deeply as I can drill down on trying to obey that command because I think I'm a pretty good guy. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing my, my pastor gig down here in Texas and I'm getting along just fine. And I start trying to obey that and I'm, I'm thinking about, okay, how do I love myself? Love your neighbor as yourself. How do I love myself? I brush my teeth every day. I comb what's left of my hair every day. Is it starting to recede? I, you know, just get myself ready for the day. All these kind of things like ways I'm loving myself. I'm contributing to a retirement account. I'm all these other things. And then I start thinking about, of my neighbors, and not just any of my neighbors, but the people that live in near vicinity to me, how do I care about their retirement? The people at my church who are single or widows or an advanced age, how do I care about their retirement? Am I contributing towards their retirement? The people, there's some chronically homeless folks around our church. How do I care about their teeth? And particularly those who've been addicted to maybe meth or different things over the years. Do I care about their teeth as much as I care about my teeth. And I find out the deeper I try to obey God's word, the more it exposes a light on me to realize I'm actually not as freaking holy as I think I am. I I need God. Well, you could have, but I wouldn't have believed you because I would have thought I'm more holy than you. So then I need his word to actually like search me. And I only get that power when I actually try to obey it. Yeah, you know, thinking about Scripture as you talk about it being for yourselves, because I think that Scripture, it's both for ourselves Mm -hmm. and for others. Like, as as people who are working in ministry, we need the hope of Scripture. As we talked about the last podcast, we need to hear those words of hope and redemption and forgiveness and and challenge and and of sin and those kinds of words. Uh, So we need it for ourselves, because if we don't feast on that, we are going to burn out. We are going to get uh, our our fuel of good intentions and tender hearts, whatever we might have out out of some natural inclinations, good digestion, whatever it is that allows us to feel that way uh, towards people kind of semi-naturally, we're going to burn out really quickly. And so we need need the word for ourselves and then we need to offer it to others because you know this this thinking about the pastoral work of you know it, it is very akin to being a physician you know a shepherd or a farmer as he talks about in the book needs to be able to care for animals in a good way to diagnose illnesses and to know how to treat them and i just think scripture gives us such unique diagnostic tools both for ourselves and for others i mean just that word mentioning that word sin alone where else do you ever come across that word of of sin in our culture i mean we hear struggles we hear you know difficulties you know those kinds of things but i think sin is a really important word and and if we get the concept of sin right as as we sit under scripture um then a lot of other things come it's like oh i don't just need somebody to kind of give me a little pat me on the back and say hey come on hang in there you're a great guy and I need a remedy for my sin. I need a remedy for my deep-seated self-centeredness. Uh, and and I need atonement. Uh, you know, we get into so many things that Scripture gives us. Uh, so I think living in the vocabulary of Scripture, it's not just so that we can have a few platitudes. It actually puts us into mm-hmm. a new reality, a reality of of sin and redemption and the, the whole story of Scripture that we need to live in. And so I think, and, and we need to call others into. So I think it, it just... Scripture just gives us a whole new world in which to encounter God, a whole new world in which to see the reality of our world, not some of the simple platitudes that that our world tends to give us. Well, because it's going to give you, and this is what you're talking about, it's going to give you a different story for the world. I think everyone in our culture says, 
um, there's, there's problems in the world. And the question is, where do those problems come from and, and what do you do with them? And a lot of culture, I think, uh, just wants to say, you know, the, the, the problems are mostly from the over there folks. There's just some other group that's like, if they would just get their act together, you know, then things would be right. And, um, and until they do, things aren't going to be right. And, and scripture wants to say like, no, here's the story. We're at shipwreck. Like we, we've been on a ship and it's totally wrecked and it is only going to be uh, through God's rescue that we're going to be healed. And so there's this wider story that you're brought in on. Let me ask you this. How do you see, um, how do you see scripture being used at, in CSF? Like what are the different ways where you see students interacting and, and encountering God through scripture? I mean, synergy comes to mind with like some obvious teaching, but my guess is most people on on staff aren't doing that. One or two might. Where what are the normal ways where your your staff is going to be using and interacting with scripture with students outside of just their own personal devotional life of trying to hear and listen to God? Like prayer, though that tends to be kind of more just personal devotion time. Core groups. Uh, you know, we've 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 done several semesters here recently. We've done just hey, let's let's sit in this batch of scripture. Uh, even in synergy, I'll say for me in my preaching when I share. Although you know, in the the recent past I've let David do more teaching. I think I'll probably be stepping back in a little more of this next next uh, season as we try to figure out uh, some things with staffing. But I try to pick a single text, not to say that I use a bunch of different texts. I try to use this, but, but, cause I will. So we let scripture, uh, help us interpret scripture, but I try to, I try to hone in on what I call just like a key passage for the night and, and sit in that. What, even if it's a thematic series we're doing, I want to just have one scripture that we sit in and use that and, and dive into it because it's so, it's so easy to just kind of come up with our own thoughts and like, Oh, I want to say this. I want to say that. Let me find a scripture that kind of agrees with me. And not that that preaching is always wrong, but I, I want to try to just pause and hover over a particular scripture and to to really just let it do its its work but i don't know so you know synergy retreats those kinds of things i will say one idea and i'm not sure why you're asking me that but I, so i'll let you kind of maybe unfold that a little bit but one idea that actually even came to me as we were doing this was was actually coming up with a series of scriptures like a csf scriptural packet mm-hmm. and having having the staff memorize hey here's here's 50 scriptures that you just need to memorize that Everyone, if you're going to be on staff at CSF or maybe even your student leaders, that these are the 50 scriptures that you, I mean, you're welcome to memorize a thousand scriptures, but here's like 50 key scriptures that we're going to talk about that we're going to just have as part of our toolkit to so when a situation comes, like what uh, you know uh, Harold talks about here, Jesus is tempted by the devil, and what does he do? Three times he quotes. I think what all three quotations are mm-hmm. from Deuteronomy, where Jesus quotes quotes Deuteronomy back to the devil. So when Jesus faces temptation, what's he do? He relies on that reservoir of the eternal word, uh, and he quotes quotes scripture back, and it allows Jesus to understand when scripture's being misapplied, as the devil does, uh, you know, because he misquotes scripture to Jesus, which is just the, I, the the depth of the devil's pride, I don't know, is more, is more significantly displayed than when he says, I can misquote scripture to Jesus, yeah. and he won't get it, and Jesus gets it. So so using scripture in good ways, so I, I don't know, that, that's kind of a meandering answer to to your question, but I, I... so well, yeah. Psalm ninety-one, I think, is what the devil quotes. But you're, I mean, so Jesus knew Deuteronomy, he knew his, the Psalms as well. One quick thing on your your memorization: Dallas Willard said that um, the 
like bar none, the greatest practice that any Christian should do is scripture memory. And he said, the reason is because God wants to reframe your whole mind and your mind has been thinking wrongly all of your life. And the only way it's going to begin thinking rightly is to begin believing and trusting the word of God, which means put it right there at the core of your very being. Like put off your old self and start wearing this new self. So I, I really like that idea. 50 is a lot. Um, so maybe, yeah, I might say 20, but, um, you know, you you do you, man. Um, I was asking you <laughs> oh, just... Gosh. Be- that's a phrase that's not allowed in our house, by the way. Caleb, Caleb will sometimes say it and then just smiles at me and looks at me. You do you, but that's that's for another Look, another podcast. To- I, I really dislike that phrase. And I, oh, and I'm, I'm ready to say it again. Of course, so I know you're messing with um, me. Yeah. yeah so yeah, I, I think the reason I was asking that is because it scripture is devotion makes a lot of sense to me. Scripture is preaching makes a lot of sense to me. And I was just trying to imagine, like, for a first year staff member. How do I think about scripture? How do I think about scripture engagement? And how do I think about helping disciple or Sherpa or under, you know, uh, chief under shepherd or like, how do I just think of being a pastor, doing some pastoral work with someone and scripture? Like, what's the connection point? And what I found for myself is um, most people need a little bit of help to think, how does that one scripture apply to my present situation? Like maybe that's what the pastor is really good at is you become so immersed in this world. You become so devoted to it yourself that when you are looking out, like for instance, the other day, I'm meeting with a person and they, um, they're, they're talking to me just about the breakdown. And th- this is not a situation your students are, are likely to encounter, but they're, this person's telling me about the breakdown of their marriage. And they're, they're questioning, like, do I get out of this marriage? Do I end this vow that I've made? Because I don't see a way out. And my instinct was to say, let's go to Isaiah 43. And Isaiah 43 is a passage, like it's written to the exiles of, you know, from, um, from Jerusalem, like, and for them, the temple's torn down, they're in a foreign land and they're wondering, does God, does God still care right now about what we're going through? And then it says, uh, this promise from God that when you pass through the waters, uh, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fires, they will not consume you. The flames will not set you ablaze and I will be with you. It's like dual promise that when you are in the middle of the worst moments, I'll walk through with them. I'll walk through them with you and I'll get you to the other side. This promise that in the moments he's with you and he's going to be with you to the other side. And it became like using that scripture, having that at the ready to begin to talk to this person who's like, I don't think my marriage matters anymore. And I'm wondering about getting out of it. That became the the way of let's invite God into the conversation. So I think I was asking you, cause I'm trying to get at that. Like, how does a, how does a 22, 23, 24 year old think about scripture and the way they're interacting with 18, 19, 20 year olds and pastoral work? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's certainly something, yeah. Groups can talk about, people can talk about maybe uh, in person in our large group time with this, but, but, you know, one of the, the last things I'd say as we try to wrap this one up is, uh, you know, I think one of the great gifts that scripture gives us is it gives us something outside of ourselves. It gives us, um, it gives us, you know, a, a frame of reference to get outside of our own emotions, our own emotional states, because I think uh, even hearing that John Wesley was writing down, and I have a ton of respect and, and uh, broadly consider myself Wesley in, in, in many ways, but um, but to kind of measure like, ooh, how close do I feel to God? I, I just, I think... 
I just don't think that I like that approach uh, in it very much. I mean, I'm not saying you should never do it, but to do it with any kind of consistency, um, maybe there's certain seasons you have to ask that. But if you're in a season where you feel like you need to ask it, you're probably just so things are so screwy anyways that you probably can't really judge it. Um, but I just like getting outside of our feelings and, and getting to over to outside of ourselves. G.K. Chesterton has this great line where he says, I found this, it made me think of it while I was reading and, and I'll read it and damn you can close with any thoughts you got. Chesterton says this, he says, that Jones shall worship the God within him, you know, kind of his own sense of, of right and wrong and whatever, that Jones shall worship the God within him, turns out ultimately to mean that Jones will worship Jones. Let Jones worship the sun or moon, anything rather than the inner light. Let Jones worship cats or crocodiles, if he can find them any in his street, but not the God within. Christianity came into the world firstly in order to assert with violence that a man had not only to look inwards, but to look outwards, to behold with astonishment and enthusiasm a divine company and a divine captain. The only fun of being a Christian was that a man was not left alone with the inner light, but definitely recognized an outer light, fair as the sun, clear as the moon, terrible as an army with banners." And it's just this freeing breaking in of from the outside world that God has come, you know, come into our world and has given us his word um, that we're not left to ourselves. We're not left to the so-called wisdom of the ages. Uh, we have God's word to speak to us, to challenge us, to help us see ourselves and the people and the world around us as he made it. Um, and, and, and then with all of its flaws and the ways in which it's, it's fallen. Um, but, but with the goodness that still remains as it's not, it's not fully fallen. Um, it, it just, scripture gives us that, that perspective that we need. I love it. Love quoting Chesterton to wrap us up there. Thanks for joining us for these uh, first couple of chapters. Uh, we'll probably see you again later in the book at some point. I think for chapters three and four, we've got another a special guest uh, coming on to help us think through this. So, Dams, appreciate your help with these first couple of chapters. All right. Talk to you later, Marshall. See you.